You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. It's good to get to be with you guys as you're taking uh, your seat. This is a little surreal for me. Uh, It was, uh, as Pastor Greg said, uh, sort of nine years ago that I got my first staff role, and uh, I shared this with a few of the uh, the other services before when uh, I was in uh, Greg's office and he said, hey, we'd like to offer you a, a job. I, my response to him was, why? <laughs> and because uh, it made no sense to me, you know, and, uh, but I was just, I was a young sort of kid coming out of university and just kind of trying to find my way and Harvest Oakville and uh, not necessarily this building, the old one, uh, the 1215 Lakeshore, they just invited me in and, uh, and just loved me and uh, really sort of cared for me and uh, uh, Pastor Craig, uh, he was a real mentor of mine, our middle son. So our boys, our, their names are Zion, River, and Eiffel. And uh, we have another one on the way. Zion's five, River is four, Eiffel's two. And so we're in trouble with the fourth, you know, because like, we are busy, just breaking up fights all the time. That's kind of my life right now, but uh, just very grateful. But our middle guy, his, uh, his middle name's Craig, and that's because we named him after Craig Turnbull who was uh, just a real sort of grace to me, him and Catherine. They, like, they did uh, my premarital counseling for when I was getting married to my wife, Kim, and Robbie married us, and it was just... And so we're very grateful uh, for the church and the time that we got to spend here. And uh, so it's really neat to get to be back with you guys and serve you in this way. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 4. John 4. And uh, when we are excited about something, uh, it, it doesn't take long until we start talking about it. When something excites us, we generally tell other people, you know, this, this ex- sort of exciting news. If you hang out with me long enough, you'll, you'll know and learn that I'm very excited about planting the church in the, in the neighborhood that we're going to in, in Toronto. That it, just, it just starts to flow out. I'm very excited that we're having another a baby. It's supposed to be a boy, so really pray for us. But I'm really <laughs> excited about that. Right? So when we're excited about things, we share. When, when you've got like a vacation coming up that you're really looking forward to, maybe you've got like one last one coming up before the fall rush hits and you're looking forward to that. Maybe you've got a new job, you've got your first car, a new home, whatever it is. Maybe there's a special someone that's come into your life now and you're, you're real excited about where things may go. When we're excited about things, we talk. We tell other people. We use our words. It flows off of our lips. Now, If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the most exciting thing in your life is Jesus Christ. No matter what happened in your life this week, this month, this year, there is nothing more exciting. There's nothing, you've got nothing better going on in your life than Jesus Christ. That is the most exciting thing you have got going. It's the same thing for me. But here's what I know about me is that there are times in my life when my excitement about Jesus Christ is nowhere near where it's supposed to be. That my love for him, that my commitment to him, that my passion, my excitement about him is not where it is supposed to be. And maybe that's your reality sometimes. That you look at your life and you're like, that that excitement that used to be there is, is just not there. But do you know what happens in my life when I slow down? When I slow down and I get my eyes on Jesus, when I put my eyes where they're supposed to be, when I look at Jesus, do you know what happens? Excitement comes back. Joy comes back. Awe comes back of Jesus Christ. Because I realize that Jesus can do for me what no one else can do. That Jesus can do for you what no one else can do. And as we go through John 4 together today, I'm hoping that you are going to see that in new and fresh ways. And I'm hoping that the Spirit of God will stir in you fresh excitement, fresh passion, fresh commitment to Jesus Christ for this reason. So that you would tell other people about him. So that you would leave here, and as the Spirit would lead and give opportunities, you would take those opportunities and tell people about Jesus Christ because he can do for them what no one else can do. And we're going to see that so clearly from our text that there's no one like Jesus. 
and the things that Jesus does to those who trust him, the things that he does in their life, it's amazing. And we should want to tell other people about him. So John 4. In the first four verses of this chapter, we're told that Jesus is on his way to Galilee. But as he's going there, he, he sort of detours, he goes down into Samaria. And as he's going and he's on his way in Samaria, he's, he's resting. In, in verse 6, it says that he is sitting by the well. See, Jesus here, he is tired the journey has been long, and so he's wearied, and so he's sitting. Jesus is like, the, is like that hardworking man or woman that comes home after a hard day, and you know that nice spot on the couch that you just kind of slide right into, like, ah. Oh. You just, you just, he's just there trying to rest and recover, and so we're going to pick up our story right there. It says, so Jesus, this is verse 6, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The, uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus here is resting, and then this, this woman comes up, and he, he speaks to her. He says, give me a drink. He talks to her. But in speaking to her, he surprises her. She's shocked. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, speak to me, a woman of Samaria? She has, she has no category for what is going on here. She's surprised that he would speak to her. And that's because Jews and Samaritans didn't deal with one another. Jews actually thought that if you interacted with the Samaritan, you would actually become unclean. And so these people went out of their way to avoid one another. See, these are people groups that were divided along racial and religious lines. And so they did not interact with one another. There were barriers up. But notice here that Jesus is not allowing those barriers to stop him from speaking to this woman. He talks to her and he answers her in a way she is not expecting. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But, uh, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Here's point number one today. Jesus is the one who satisfies. He's the one who satisfies. He says to her in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who is it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, he says this to her, but from her response, it's clear that she actually misunderstands Jesus. She doesn't understand what he is saying. She thinks Jesus is talking about physical water. That's why she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. But Jesus isn't talking about physical water. He knows that the water that she will draw from this well will only satisfy her for so long. That's why he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks of, the water, of this water will be thirsty again. See, Jesus here isn't talking about physical water. He's talking about spiritual water. Water that will satisfy her for the rest of her life. Water that he alone can give to her. That's why he says in verse 13, Verse 14, whoever drinks out of the water that I will give him will, will never thirst again. He says, I can give you water that will quench your thirst for, forever. I can give you water that will satisfy you. Now, if you're wondering, what, what's the water? Like, what's the water he is talking about? Well, John 7 actually makes it clear to us what the water is. The water is the Holy Spirit. It says, it says, whoever believes in me, Jesus said this, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the gift. 
When he says, if you knew the gift of God, this is what he is talking about. The gift of God is the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus wants to give to her. That is what Jesus will give to her. That is what will satisfy her for all time. See, the Holy Spirit can satisfy the woman in Samaria, and it can satisfy any person in Oakville and beyond. This is the gift of God. See, Jesus here is not solely interested in her physical need. He's also interested in her spiritual need. See, this is a woman who has an issue going on in her heart. This is why he talks to her. He speaks to her because he wants to deal with an issue that is going on in her life. What you have here is a woman who has been longing and searching for satisfaction longing for this, but she has been coming up empty. She has gone to many wells, many earthly, worldly wells, looking for satisfaction, but she has been coming up empty. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Her life was a chain of unfulfilling relationships. She has sought after satisfaction. This is a woman who's longing to be known and accepted. This is a woman who's also dealing with a real issue of rejection. She is dealing with rejection. She is living through this. You, we know this. Because of the time she comes to draw water. See, in those times, women, when they would go to draw water, they would go in groups. They would also go early in the morning. But what do you notice about this woman? She's alone. She's also there, it says, at the sixth hour. That's 12 o'clock. She is there at one of the hottest point in the day. And the reason why is because she is avoiding the people in the town. She is a voice. She's going out of her way not to interact with these people because she is full of shame. She is avoiding these people because these people from the town judged her. The people in the town looked down on her. The people in the town who I'm sure that if we had a window of view into their life, we would realize that they had all kinds of sin going on in their life as well. That they needed Jesus Christ just as much as she does. And this is the danger with judging others. This is the danger that I fall into sometimes. When I look at other people and I think, well, look at the way they're living. I wouldn't necessarily do that. I haven't done that. And what often is going on is when I'm doing that to other people, so often what is happening in my own life is that I'm missing the log that is in my eye while looking at the speck in somebody else's. And this is the danger with judging others. See, our standard is not other people. Our standard is Jesus Christ. And when I look at Jesus Christ and when I compare myself to him, do you know what starts to happen in my heart? Humility comes into my life because I realize he is the only one that's righteous. He is the only one that's ever lived a perfect life. He is the only one who can stand and judge over anyone else. I am not to do that. I am called simply to love others, speak the truth and love to them if, I, if need be and I get the opportunity, but not to stand in judgment over them. Judging others is so dangerous and it's something that we have to watch in our own life because our eyes go off of ourselves and go on to other people and we miss the things that we need to be looking after in our own house, so to speak. Jesus here, though, everybody is judging this woman, but notice that Jesus isn't doing that to her. He's not judging her. See, Jesus knows all the details of her life. He says, you have had five husbands. He knows every single thing about her. He knows all of her mess, but he is not judging her. He is not saying to her, you know, go clean yourself up and then come back. Jesus wraps his arms around her and invites her into a warm, compassionate, loving embrace. He satisfies the longing that has been going on in this woman's heart and life for so long. He does for her what no one else could do. He satisfies her Longing And this longing that is in this woman, this longing to be known and accepted is also true of us. We long for people to know us completely, fully, 
But we fear. We fear putting ourselves out there. We fear putting ourselves out to others because we think if people knew me, if people knew all of me, if they knew the mess in my past, if they knew the current mess going on in my life right now, would they accept me or would they reject me? And so we fear putting ourselves out there. But we don't have to do that with Jesus. Jesus knows all of my mess. He knows all of your mess. We live our life before the audience of one. He knows every single thing about us, but Jesus does not reject us. He says, Marv, you are a mess. You need help. Come here, bro. He invites us in. He accepts us. And you know what happens when, once, that, once he invites us in? He begins his work of transformation and change in our lives immediately. Think about your life. Think about who you used to be when you first came to Christ. Are you perfect now? No. Are you still a little bit messy? Yes. But are you the same person you were over here? No. Because Jesus has began a good work in you, and the Bible says he will bring it to completion. You will be made like him. Glorification is coming. He promises that, and he accepts us and begins his work in our heart and life. And then you know what happens when we have the acceptance of Jesus Christ? When we have the acceptance of the one person that it matters most, we're free. We're free. We are, we are now free to walk in the gospel because we realize I have the acceptance of Jesus Christ. He told me that he loves me. He told me that that is not going to change. And I now no longer need the acceptance of people. I'm freed in the gospel to serve and love others because even if they say today, I love you, and then tomorrow they say, I don't love you anymore, Jesus will never say that. That will never happen. He loves us with an everlasting, perfect, unending, never-stopping love. That is never going to change. And so now we are free in the gospel to be out there and to just say to people, this is who I am. This is all of me. And you may reject me, but that's okay. Because I have the love and affection of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm in his hand. And he's never going to let me go. That's Jesus. He loves us in these ways and gives us the ability to walk in gospel freedom. And so Jesus here satisfies her longing for acceptance. And then he deals with her confusion about worship. Look at verse 19. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, all Jesus is saying here is that the Jews and the Samaritans, they disagreed on where and how we are to worship God. And he tells her, he says that the Jews are right. He says they're right on this. But he also says it doesn't matter anymore. He says it doesn't matter anymore because I am here. I am here, the true temple, who John says tabernacled among us. He says, I have come, and I am calling all people to worship God in spirit and truth anywhere because God is everywhere. And so we can worship God in this room. We can worship God in the parking lot. We can worship God in the mall. We can worship God at our house because he is with us, and we do it in spirit. That means in gospel freedom, full of the spirit. And we do it in truth. We say and we sing what is true about God. We say and we sing what is true about us. We say and we sing what is true about the gospel. We say what is, and sing what is true about what is coming to us and where we are going. Spirit and truth anywhere because God is everywhere. He is with us at all times. And so we can worship him all the time. See, she was confused about where and how to worship, we get confused about what to worship. She's confused about where and how. We get confused about what to worship. See, our longing for satisfaction, our longing for fulfillment, makes it so that we worship things that are not God. 
that we turn to things thinking that they are going to satisfy us. And this is, a new, this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. This is a Genesis chapter 3 thing. Right? See, all people worship. Do you know that? We're always worshiping all the time. And when you woke up this morning, you, you started to worship. We all worship. The thing, though, is we got to ask is, is my worship oriented in the right direction? See, in Genesis chapter 3, worship was twisted, where Adam and Eve chose to worship themselves. They chose to worship independence. And now, all people struggle with this. Many people worship at the well of money. Some people worship at the well of image, of fashion, of independence, of sex, of education, relationships, power, fame. We go to these places thinking like, if we had these things, if I could just get these things, I would be satisfied. This longing that I have going on in my heart and life, if I, if, if I had this, then I would be satisfied. And these things can become messiahs to us, but these things can't satisfy us. These things cannot save us. There's only one person who can satisfy and save us, and that person is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This woman's statement reminds us that all people are longing for a savior. That all of us are longing. When we look, do you know that every superhero movie taps into this desire? This, that's why they're so enjoyable. It taps into this desire that we realize we need, some, we need a savior, right? Dark, the Dark Knight, Black Panther, the Infinity War. I don't know what's out now. <laughs> but there, it's all tapping into this desire. When we look at the world, when we see the racism that is there, when we see the political confusion, when you turn on CP24 and it's like, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, good night. When we look at our own life, that there's moments where we can be praising God and, and going after Jesus, and then in another day, we're doing something that's totally out of character. And we realize something is wrong. That this is broken when we see the oppression and the injustice. We're like, something is wrong here. And we realize that I need someone that's outside of me. Someone with this special and unique ability. Don't you feel like sometimes when you're watching the movie, you're like, I wish I was Black Panther. I feel that. We realize we need somebody to come from outside of us with this unique ability, with this unique power to save us and rescue us. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. The one you have been looking for, the one you are waiting for, the one that you need is me, he says to her. That there's no one else who can do this for you. I am standing before you right now. I can satisfy all of your needs, all of your longings. I am the one who's going to die for your sins. I am the one who is here to rescue you. I am the one who can do that, and I am the one who will do that. Because I love you. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. If you are here today and you are not trusting in Christ, Jesus says from his word, I who speak to you, the savior you need is me. And today is the day. If you're trusting in anything else, and I say this with love towards you, if you're trusting in anything else, you're, you're trusting in something that's false. It's a false hope. And you will be found, that what thing that you're looking into, will be, it'll be vain. But if all of your hope is in Jesus Christ, if all of your hope is in him and what he has done for you on the cross, then at the end of your life, it will not be in vain to have all of your hope in the basket of Jesus Christ. And if you have not trusted in him, then today is the day to turn and trust in him for your salvation. He can change you and satisfy your deepest longings. Jesus he says, the Savior, the King, the one you need, the one who can satisfy you, I am here. F.F. F. Bruce said this. He says, the soul's deepest thirst is for God himself who made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. That deep longing 
that you feel, that is, that is a hole that only God can fill. The deepest longing is for God himself. If you are pursuing anything else, you will never find true and lasting satisfaction only if you are pursuing and going after God. He is the one who can satisfy you. And this is what makes missions and evangelism so important. This is why we are planting the church in Toronto. This is why we're going there, because we know that there are people out there who are looking for satisfaction, searching and going through all kinds of things, but they're not finding satisfaction. They're going through all kinds of wells, but they're coming up empty again, again, and again, and again, but we are going to them, not because there's anything special in us, not because we are great, but because Jesus is great, because he is the one who can satisfy their deepest longings, and we know Jesus. And so we feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. And, and I, I'm guessing in this room, there are people who are not going with us. That's okay. But... You are leaving this room today, and you are going to interact with people who have this longing. And if the Spirit prompts and gives opportunity, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the one who can satisfy the deepest longings in their heart. Tell them about the one who can meet all of their needs. Tell them about the one who gave all on the cross so that we could be saved. And as we go and do that, however the Spirit leads you, follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example he sets for us. Notice here that Jesus is not letting racial or religious lines stop him from talking to this woman. He does not let race or religion stand in the way. And that's the same for us. We shouldn't pick and choose. I'm going to talk to this person, but I ain't going to talk to this person. It does not matter because every person, no matter what race, is made in the image of God. And we, so we, we speak to them. Notice also that Jesus is kind and compassionate, compassionate to this woman. He speaks to her with gentleness. Jesus speaks the truth in love to her. Don't miss that. He talks to her about her sin. But he does it in love. The conversation between them never gets ugly. It ne he never shames her. He never demeans her. He never makes her feel small. He does none of that. Sometimes when we go out to do evangelism and engage in missions, it makes it so people never want to talk to us again. That's not the way it's supposed to be. See, Jesus is loving and gentle with this woman because he sees a person. He sees an image bearer of God, someone dealing with the difficulties and pain of life, the difficulties and pain that sin brings in, someone who's living through brokenness. He sees a flesh and blood person, and he's full of compassion in his heart towards her. And that is the way we are supposed to be. As we are going, we need to ask the Spirit to just give us hearts of compassion, give us hearts of tenderness, so that when we interact with people, we see across from us another human being, a flesh and blood image bearer of Christ, someone dealing with the difficulties of life, someone who's struggling with sin, yes, someone who needs to hear the gospel, yes, but not somebody we're supposed to defeat in an argument. So often our our gospel presentation takes this ugly turn because we think we're supposed to win an argument. Missions, evangelism is not about winning arguments. It's about introducing people to the greatest person who has ever lived, the one person who can satisfy them. I was preaching in York Region last week and there was baptisms before I got up and there was a girl in the tank. She said something, I'm like, that's it right there. She was in China sitting on a bench and a girl just came up next to her and sat down and said, can I tell you about Jesus? Not, do you want to fight? <laughs> and she was in that tank because of that. Just gentle love. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about the Savior of the world? We follow the example of Jesus Christ and we treat people with dignity and respect. Whether they agree with us at the end or not, we, we show that they're, they're of worth because they're made in the image of God. 
And so as Jesus is speaking to her, the disciples return. Look at verse 27. It says, just then, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So they come back and it says that they see him talking and they marvel at what is happening. They're actually in shock here that Jesus is talking with a woman. And that's because rabbis in those times thought that it was a waste of time to talk to women. They thought that it was, it was a waste of your time to actually do that. See, Jesus here in speaking to this woman, what he is doing is he's breaking away from the sexism that was actually very common in his day. See, when you read the Gospels, what you will find is that Jesus treated women differently. That Jesus treated women well. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, do you know what Jesus does? He makes sure that his mother can get looked after into old age. Jesus is going about in his teaching ministry, and he gets to the house of Mary and Martha, and he allows Mary to come and sit at his feet. Rabbis wouldn't have done that even back then. And he disciples her so she can turn around and disciple others. Jesus goes out of his way to include and draw women into his ministry. What Jesus models for us is the dignity and worth of women. And that we are to treat them with respect, the women who come in and out of our churches, the women that come in and out of our lives, that we are to care for them, that we are to love them, that we are to serve them, that we are to uphold their worth and dignity. Jesus models that for us and calls us to that same thing. Amen. And we, live in such, and we live in a culture that, think about where the culture is. We as a church have such a unique opportunity to do this, to model, to be a light, to be salt in the ways that we treat the women in our lives. Jesus shows us here how we are to do this, that women are valuable, that they're of infinite worth. As disciples come back, she runs off in her excitement. Look at verse 28, she runs off to tell others. It says, so the woman, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. One of our, one of our other pastors, one of our elders in, uh, I, I always mess the name up now, Brampton, now Mississauga, he said this, him and I, when I, whenever I'm preaching, we get together and we just talk about the sermon. He's older than me. He's much more mature in Christ, and so I want his input. And so we talked together, and as we were looking at the passage and reading, and he said this, and I said, Dennis, is it okay if I use this? He's like, yeah, go ahead. So I said, I'll put it in the sermon. He said this. He says, Marv, at first, we are the mission. But after we are saved, we become the missionary." At first, we are the mission, but after we are saved, we become the missionary. And this is what's going on in this woman's life. She is now on mission. She is off in her excitement to tell people about Jesus, to tell them about the one who can do for them what no one else can do. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She is calling people to Jesus. And this is our second point. Jesus is the one who sends. He is the one who sends. The disciples come back and, and uh, they are just trying desperately to get Jesus to eat something. But Jesus has a higher priority than eating right now. Look at verse 31. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? Just picture it. They're like, Peter, did somebody bring him something from Starbucks? <laughs> They're wondering, where did he get food? But Jesus is saying here, helping this woman is like food to me. Meeting her need actually strengthens me. I gain nourishment from this. Fulfilling his father's mission was his greatest Commitment. See, Jesus here, what he's doing in helping this woman is that he's living out Philippians chapter 2, which says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Jesus here is looking to her interest. And so his physical needs came second. See, when missions, when evangelism, when seeing other people come to Christ, when seeing other people have their life changed and transformed, when that is your passion, when that is burning in you, when that gets kind of caught in your heart, there are times in your life, not all times, but sometimes, your physical needs will come second. Because you care so much about the spiritual need of others. And Jesus here models that for us. See, Jesus is so committed to the interests of others, so committed to doing his Father's will, that that commitment took him all the way to the cross where he hung and died for our sins. Where That's where John could say that in John 19.30, it is finished. And his finished work on the cross, his commitment to our interests, made it so that, he, so that we could enter back into a relationship with our Father. Jesus dying on the cross opens that door for us to walk back into a relationship that we walked away from. So he clarifies his priority, and then he also wants his, his disciples to know the times that they are in. Look at verse 35. It says, Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus says, disciples, wake up. The times that you are in are unique. This is a time where sowing and reaping happen together. That's why he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible says, the fields are ready for harvest. This is also why he says in verse 36, already the one who reaps is receiving wages. Jesus is saying to his disciples, people are already out there working. People are already out there reaping. He's saying, get out into the work. He's trying to motivate and encourage them. See, the disciples are distracted. They're not like that kid in the back of the classroom. I was this kid. You know, just kind of staring out the window. Do, do, do. Oh, that's a nice butterfly. Do, do, do. I wonder if that girl is going to say yes if I ask her out. Do, do, do. I wonder if LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. Do, do, do. Distracted. And Jesus is like, focus. He's like, hey, guys, hey, guys, look, look. He's literally pointing and saying, look. And he's saying, look at the people streaming out of the town. He's saying, the fields are ready. He's like, it's where he's like, get in the works. He's trying to motivate them. He's trying to stir urgency in them. He wanted urgency in his disciples then, and he wants urgency in his disciples now. Jesus wants us out in the work, out gathering the fruit, bringing in the fruit of eternal life. See, missions, missions, evangelism, making disciples isn't an option for some. It's a mandate given to us all. That is the mandate. We are to make disciples. That is what we are called to, to be out in the work. And for some people, that means you will get on a plane and you'll fly somewhere far. But for so many of us, it simply means being a faithful witness in our city and in our neighborhood, living the gospel and sharing the gospel with others. We are all called to this, and all of us have different roles to play in this. Look at verse 38. Since I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. The disciples here are benefiting from the work of others. See, this is a time of reaping. Reaping and sowing happens together, but we may get somewhere where we realize there needs to be some sowing. We need to do some sowing, and, and in our doing of the sowing, we may not actually reap the results of that. Someone else may come along and reap those benefits, but that's okay. That's okay, because faithful missions, faithful evangelism, faithfully telling people about Jesus simply means telling them and leaving the results to the Holy Spirit. It's not up to us. Paul says this. He says, I planted Apollos water, but what? God gave the growth, not me. God gives the growth. Our job is to sow and, and water. Sow water and leave the results 
to the Lord. But here's the thing. We will all get to rejoice together in his success. This conversation between Jesus and his disciples almost makes you forget about the woman who's running like Usain Bolt back in the town to tell people. She is on her way, and her witness is effective. Look at verse 20, uh, 39. It says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So, they were, so does, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Here's our final point. Jesus is the one who saves. He is the one who saves Her testimony is powerful. Her testimony leads others. It draws people out of the town. And this reminds us that one of the things that God uses to draw people to his son is our testimony. He uses our story. Now, some people hear that and you're like, oh, but Marv, you don't know my story. It's kind of one of those clean ones. Right? And sometimes we don't help this, right? People share their testimonies. Like, I was saved at five years old. My mom led me to Christ. And we're like, oh. That's nice. So happy for that person. And then we hear someone else like, I was a drug addict, I was going crazy, I was partying and everything like that, and then, you know, I was sort of in a club somewhere, and then Jesus met me, and we're like, wow! We run home. You got to hear this person's testimony. You got to come and hear this. This is like the craziest testimony I've ever heard. And you know what we're communicating at that point? Like, that testimony is more powerful than the other one. Why? Because one sounds messy, and one sounds clean. But here's the thing about every story. They're all messy. No matter how clean they sound. Because every story has sin in it. And if you have read your Bible, what you will realize is that sin is messy. And every testimony, whether you were saved at four years old or whether you were saved at 42 years old, coming off of a drug high, every testimony is powerful because what happened is that at four years old or at 42 years old, God spoke to your heart. God said, you are a sinner in need of grace and I have given you grace because I've given you my son who died on the cross for your sins and you turned in that moment, even if it was at four, it was a powerful moment because God showed you grace. He did a special thing for you and no matter what we, no matter the kind of testimonies we hear, we are to sit there and say, praise God for what he has done in that person's life because that is powerful. And so you're wondering, should I share my story? Yes. Because it is powerful. Don't be afraid to tell others. And just trust that the Spirit of God will use that however he wants in a person's life. Every story is powerful because every story speaks of the grace and power of God to rescue and save people. And he's been doing it for years and he'll keep doing it. And so we share. So they come to Jesus and they ask him to stay. And then look what happens. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. The text says many more believe. And notice they believe because of his word. See, our story can draw people to Jesus, but our story doesn't save people. What saves people is an intimate personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what happened for this woman. That's what happened for the people in the town. Notice that they say, we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is the Savior of the world. Their personal encounter with Jesus leads them to a place of firm commitment and conviction about who he is. They say, this is the Savior of the world. See, Jesus here, he reaps a harvest among the Samaritans. And that is to remind us that Jesus came for all people. Jesus is going to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And here's the really powerful and great thing. Well, not more powerful than that, but it's still powerful. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of making that happen. That's what it means that when we're called to go and make disciples, we get to be a part of the bringing in of the nations. That is what we are called to. The people here from the town are drinking from the well of living water. 
All because of this woman. All because of her faithful witness. All because she goes and she says, come and see. Come with me. Come see the one who can do for you what no one else can do. Come see the Savior of the world. All because of her faithful witness. All because she was committed to go and make disciples. She was on mission. Now you got to think about this woman. Think about where we started with her. She was full of fear. She was full of shame. She was going out of her way to avoid people. But what do you notice about this woman now? There's no shame. There's no fear. She is speaking boldly. She is proclaiming the good news. She is calling people. She is full of courageous clarity. Now, the question you got to ask is, what happened from here to here? How did, how did we get this person full of shame, full of fear, now over here full of boldness, full of courage, full of joy, calling other people saying, come, come, come see Jesus, come see the one who can save you, come to the one who can do for you what no one else can do. How do you get that? It's because of Jesus. She can do this. She is full of gospel clarity. She's full of, she's full of freedom because she knows she is loved and she is accepted. She has the love and acceptance of the one person who it matters most. Her longings have been satisfied and now she no longer leads the love and acceptance of other people. And because she has the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ, she is free now to serve people. She does not need them to serve her anymore. And this is what Jesus does with a life. Anyone who comes to him and fully surrenders everything, he takes you, he takes all of your shame, he takes all of your fear, and he removes all of that, and he gives you his love and his, his acceptance, he fills you with the spirit, he gives you a new heart, and he empowers you to live in ways that you never expected. That is what Jesus does. This is why we want to tell people about Jesus. Who can do this in people's lives? Who can take someone and completely change and transform them. Only Jesus can do that. And we see it in the text. This is not the same woman. But she knows she is loved. She knows she is accepted. She knows she has met somebody special. And she wants everyone to meet him. Because she wants to see him do for them what he has done for her. Is that your heart? Is that my heart? I ask myself sometimes. I'm a pastor and I don't do a great job of telling other people about Jesus until I'm like right here. But this is what we are called to. Is that our heart to see other people experiencing? Experiencing the love of Jesus. This woman here models for us the way we are to live our life, that we are to share with others. She is a great example for us. She is completely out of her comfort zone. And because she is out of her comfort zone, because she's willing to step out, other people are saved. Other people come to Christ. When we step out of our comfort zone, when we go and we do the thing that seems difficult and hard, Jesus is going to be with us as we do that. But we are going to see many people come to faith in Christ. We'll see many people receive the satisfaction that they have been longing for, drinking from the well of living water. Charles Van, uh, Van Egen in his book, God's Missionary People, said this, we are sent out to make disciples of others. The church is not an exclusive club of privilege, neither is it a place of rest from our labors. We have been brought in so that we may gather others into, I love this part, this kingdom of grace. I love that part. This Kingdom of grace. Is that how you think about the kingdom of God? That you are in grace? That this is a kingdom of grace? And do you think, I don't want to hoard all this grace to myself. I want other people to experience this kingdom of grace. That is what we are sent out to do. See, sometimes we think, you know, I get saved and now it's, it's just rest. There is, there is an element of rest, yes, but there's also work. There's also gathering others so that they can experience this kingdom of grace, so that others would meet and know Jesus, so that others would be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Think about this one. She's, she's been searching all over the place, going to other men, and she has found the man. 
And she says, I don't need any more. Come and see. We have found the man, the savior of the world, who won, the one who gave all for us, the one who has brought us into the kingdom of this grace. And that man, that savior, our Lord, says to us, go and gather others. Go make disciples. Go and invite others into this kingdom of grace. And you know what stirs excitement? Do you know what stirs joy? Do you know what stirs freedom to go and share the gospel in these ways? The gospel. Remembering that we have been saved, that we have been satisfied, that we have been sent, that we have been sent to see others come and experience the grace that we are experiencing, to gather others into the kingdom of grace. But we got to slow down and we got to put our eyes in the right place and then that excitement, that joy will come back and the gospel freedom comes. And that will come as we do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, your son who has done uh, things, Lord, in us and for us that we could never dream of. And God, I pray that you, Lord, would help us to, to see and look at his beauty, to see and know the grace that we are experiencing, not so that we could just hoard this grace to ourselves, Lord, but so that we could, we could go and share this grace with others, to see other people experiencing this kingdom of grace. Oh God, would you help us, I pray, to have this heart, God, thank you for this story. Thank you for what you did in this woman's life. Thank you that you changed her. Thank you that she models for us what it means to go and, and tell others so that other people can experience, so that Jesus can do for others what no one else can do. Father, I pray that we would get a heart like this, that we would not that hoard grace to ourselves, but we would want to see others, other people, other image bearers experiencing this. Please help us, I pray. And God, I pray that we would go out motivated, not because we feel guilty, but motivated because we know the gospel. We know what you have done in our heart and our life, and I pray that would be what would move us to do this for others. Not because we're doing this so you would accept us, but we're doing it because you've already accepted us. And so, Lord, now we are free to serve those who need you so much. Oh, God, would you help us, I pray. Thank you for giving us the spirit that gives us the ability to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.